Read this quote from the book. <laughs> okay, I'll try to do this one. Do you think that I have a problem? The only problem that those people have anyway is that... Oh, I see. The only... Uh, it's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> the next words were new clothes. listening to the fire the canon podcast the podcast where we read the books in the western canon and decide if they belong or not i'm one of your hosts rachel i'm the other host jackie i'm theo i'm the producer we're on the final episode of a confederacy of dunces by john kennedy tool we are in the home stretch of this book we only have three chapters left so let's get in there do you want to say where we left off theo where we've left off it's it's right at the moment where all of these different storylines are going to in- intersect what has been set up is ignatius has met dorian green who is the the man who bought his mom's hat in the first chapter he's a gay man who's like very it seems like he's kind of important in the gay community right like he talks about having lots of parties and, and things like that yeah he's got a big house and he throws parties and everybody loves he has him. a mansion yeah yeah and so dorian finds ignatius kind of fascinating and funny so he wants ignatius to come to his party and ignatius is going to be this thing that everyone can sort of look at and laugh at but ignatius thinks that he's going to this party and he's going to a kickoff rally yeah like galvanize everyone like try to get this movement going the point of it is he wants to have lots of gay men infiltrate all of the military and then political offices all around the world yeah all around the world <laughs> he's doing it all to impress his sort of ex-girlfriend kind of whatever uh mirna minkoff so that is one thing that is set up is that he's going to go to this party and then the other thing that's set up is he was shown a picture of lana lee with it was a pornographic photo of her with the consolation of philosophy covering her face and so he thinks that there's this woman who is stripping at the night of joy yeah she's like a intellectual who's fallen on hard times and that she's his perfect match so he wants to go to the night of joy to meet this woman um and possibly have sex with her so he can brag about it to his ex yeah. also the levy pants company has been sued for half a million dollars and mr levy called up ignatius and was trying to look for him and ignatius said oh ignatius has been brought to a mental hospital sorry jones who works at the night of joy bar he has been trying to plot a way to take down the bar, basically. And he knows if he brings Ignatius in, then something bad will happen. It'll be a good sabotage. All the pieces are set. So with that in the back of your mind, we begin chapter 12. So unlike the previous chapters, this one isn't broken up into sections. Well, I think what's really interesting about it is like this one isn't broken up into sections and the next one is broken up into very, very small sections. Yeah. Yeah, 13 sections. Yeah. Chapter 13 has 13 sections. So chapter 12, it opens with a letter from Myrna Minkoff She is extremely homophobic in the letter, and she's like, why are you writing me this crazy stuff about forming this gay party? It's obvious that your sexual repression has found a new deviant outlet, and that's why you're turning gay, and you need to see a psychiatrist quickly before you're, like, fully fledged. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So anyway, he's he dresses up in his hot dog pirate costume and his mom is worried that he's going off to a meeting of the communist party. So he's like yelling at her and he leaves. He goes into this taxi cab and he peels off while his mom's chasing after him. Yeah. And he's wearing that costume because Dorian told him he had to to go to the party. Yeah. Right? He's like, everyone's going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like setting up to laugh at him, basically. Yeah, I guess so. And he's got like a sword that he constantly brandishes around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he goes to the party. It's in this like beautiful house, presumably, because Ignatius thinks it looks horrible. So I'm guessing it probably looks pretty good. <laughs> he calls the house an abortion. He was like, who owns he, this abortion? He likes to use that word. So we find out that Dorian Green is quite wealthy and he owns the house and he gets his money because he says his family in Nebraska sends him a large check every month to stay out of Nebraska. Yeah. Done. Deal, man. I'll take that deal. <laughs> yeah, I wish someone would pay me to stay out of Nebraska. Yeah. If I had a dime for every minute I've stayed out of Nebraska, I'd have a lot of dimes, just saying. Yeah. I mean, the problem is you've been living out of Nebraska for free for so many years, people don't see the value in it. Yeah. I've really just given away this content for nothing. Ignatius, he shows up at the party and he's an asshole, basically. Yeah. So, all right. So he's at the party. He tries to give a speech. Everyone's complaining. He meets the three lesbians who got in a fight with Patrolman Mancuso earlier. And it turns out they are crazy aggressive. They're basically hyenas. Yeah. Very <laughs> aggressive. They live in Dorian Green's house and he says he likes to have them there because they're basically guard dogs and they've like <laughs> confined them to the kitchen during the party because he says, you know, we know that if you ladies get leave the kitchen, you're going to start fighting everyone. <laughs> yeah. They call them like the peace patrol or something, but they're constantly The ladies like, auxiliary. Yeah, of the peace party. So they keep raising chairs over their heads and like threatening to smash each other. And yeah. they're just totally out of control. They're not human. I mean, they have zero character dimension. They're just like raw aggression. Yeah. Unbelievably aggressive. <laughs> he said that they get sent money from some famous actress or something. They got kicked out of California for getting in random fights. Right. Ignatius is like standing in the ballroom trying to give a speech. Everyone's complaining and they're saying like, we're leaving this party. We're going to go to a nice bar. So Dorian tells Ignatius, you've got to stop. That's enough. He's like, I thought you were going to be fun. I thought this was going to be hilarious, but you're actually trying to make a speech. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but he stays and eventually the three lesbians come out and they're like, oh, don't worry. Someone's going to dance with you. And they do some complicated maneuver and shove him into another guest and then he knocks the guest over and almost crushes him and he just gets in trouble and Dorian's like all right ladies kick him out of the party what do you guys think about the it talks about how Ignatius is having a similar feeling to what he had when his chemistry experiment in high school exploded and like burned off his eyebrows and he peed his pants and everyone ignored him all day I was like are we supposed to feel bad for him yeah I don't know it says everyone ignored him all day and he had pee in his pants the whole day that's better to be ignored then would you <laughs> yeah, rather be ignored so. after that happened you don't have any eyebrows and you just exploded the whole chemistry lab. And he said they ignored him because, he, or the teacher ignored him because he had done it before. So Ignatius gets kicked out and the lesbians tell him like, you've got 10 minutes and then we're coming after you. And if we find you, we're going to beat you up. <laughs> so he thinks, well, I'll go to the Night of Joy. They probably won't find me there. Yeah. And I want to see Harlot O'Hara's stripping act and confess my love to her or whatever. So he goes over to the Night of Joy. And when he shows up, we hear, yeah, we hear Jones. Jones is sitting 
outside and he says, come see Harla, Harla O'Horror is what he calls her. Yeah. And he goes on and on like, oh, come check this out. It's basically exactly like a plantation. Like they're underpaying black people here. You can practically <laughs> grow cotton. He's obviously trying to sabotage it and keep people from going in. But when he sees Ignatius, he's like, oh, you're back. Yeah, we've got a table saved for you right up front. The manager's out of town. Go on in. It's going to be perfect. You'll sit right by the, the stage. And Jones knows that Ignatius doesn't like the manager, Lana Lee, so he lies and says she's out of town. So Ignatius goes in and he tries to order Dr. Nut, but instead uh, an employee tells him, we don't have that, so here are two bottles of champagne and now you owe me $42 or whatever it was. And he's saying, I don't want this at all. And she's like, no, you have to share it with me. (laughs) But the thing is, she keeps saying like, you have to pay, you have to pay. At this point, he hadn't, she hadn't even opened the champagne, I don't think. (laughs) Well, that's why it's a scam because he he didn't order it. She brought it to the table. I know, but she should have waited till she had opened the champagne and said, this is all we have. Open, pour, and then say, now you owe the money. Yeah. Not bring two <laughs> totally sealed bottles and say, okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He can, he can refuse anyway. <laughs> He's trying to pay attention. So he keeps telling this woman, like, shut up, leave me alone. I'm trying to watch the show. And the whole time he's trying to watch this woman saying, like, pay me, pay me, pay me. Yeah. He is watching. And then he realizes Jones lied and the manager is there. So he's upset about that. And then he realizes that the performer is Darlene from before, who he doesn't like and figures out that there's no, like, scholar that he can fall in love with. He said, this Cretan is Miss O'Hara? He's very rude. At this point, her cockatiel, which is supposed to pull on the rings on her outfit sees his giant pirate earring and heads right towards it to try to pull on that. He gets kicked out of the bar. He's like trying to get this bird off of him. He's in the street. He almost falls into the street and gets killed by a bus, but Jones is able to grab him and pull him out of the way. And Ignatius promptly faints (laughs) and he's knocked out for the rest of the chapter. So this whole night went very badly for him, I think. Mm -hmm. I was starting to feel bad for him when he got kicked out of the party and everybody was being mean to him. And yeah, you didn't feel bad for him He was being mean to them. I think if you're super homophobic and a bunch of gay guys are mean to you, I'm not going to feel bad for you. (laughs) Look, I'm not saying he's a great guy and I love everything he does. I'm just saying I feel a little bad for him because things are going so badly. And he said this is he felt just like he did when he was in high school and he was so alone and nobody even paid any attention to him. That's a little sad. You can feel bad for him. You got to feel bad for the child within. I don't feel bad at all for him as an adult. Yeah. He's horrible. Yeah. So he's knocked out. At this point, patrolman Ming so pops up out of nowhere, of course, wearing a disguise. And in the hubbub, Lana Lee is like firing everyone. She fires, fires Jones and Darlene and the woman who tried to sell the champagne to Ignatius. She sees Mancuso in his disguise and she thinks, oh, this is an easy mark. So she pulls out her pornographic photo and shows it to him and is like, you like what you see? And so he arrests her immediately for solicitation and possession of pornography. And then out of nowhere, the three lesbians arrive and apparently they try to beat him up for the second time. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny how Lana Lee couldn't recognize that he was a police officer when, you know, the whole book, everyone has been immediately able to recognize that he's a police officer. And previously she said that she was having so many undercover cops coming into her bar. She talked about how she could easily spot them all the time. And right before he arrested her, she thinks to herself, oh, he's probably like a nice lawyer or a retired doctor or something. Boy, I'm really good at spotting these soft ones. Let me get him. And then she's 
not good at it at all. Seems like yeah. he finally got a good outfit, or it could be that it was such a bad disguise that it didn't register as an undercover cop disguise to her. So end of chapter 12, chapter 13 starts off. Are we ready? Yes, this is the one that's divided into so many different sections. So we're not going to tell you when each section starts, but basically every single character, this is like their finale. It's just wrapping up their arc. Yeah. So we first catch up with Ignatius, who wakes up in the hospital, and it turns out that what had happened at the Night of Joy made the papers. There's a photo of Ignatius lying on the ground, so his mom is really upset and embarrassed by it. He ends up getting his Constellation of Philosophy book back and his mother reveals that it had been stolen from patrolman Mancuso and that she had sent him to follow Ignatius and see what was going on. So he's super upset. And his mom says, this hospital costs $20 a day. I can't afford that. So I had to ask Claude Robichaux, her boyfriend, to pay. And Ignatius tries to say, like, no, I'm not going to accept this dirty money. I'm going to stay in the hospital until I'm freed by clean money. And she's like, that's $20 each day. You've got to get out of here. So that's where we are. In the little second arc, we have uh, Mr. Clyde, the hot dog vendor man boss, and he just calls uh, Riley's Ignatius Riley's house and fires him and tries to leave a message saying, like, I'm going to need that costume back. And it's really bad that he's um, given all hot dog vendors an even worse name. So Dr. Talc, who is the professor who Ignatius kept sending letters to under the pseudonym Zorro, the scene is about him. The female student who had found the letter that Ignatius had written. She's been passing it around, so all the students have read it and talking about him. Because it calls him like a sexual pervert and stuff like that. It says that he's like encouraging, perverting the minds of the young or something, which Ignatius meant something different, but everyone's interpreting it to mean, I guess, that he's been sleeping with his students, which he seems like he wants to do, but we don't know if he actually did. Anyway, so that's Dr. Talc, and he says, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to deal with this letter then. Yep. Next we see that their neighbor, Miss Annie, who's constantly complaining about Ignatius Ignatius, for good reason, is fed up. She sees the paper and she decides to start a petition in the neighborhood to make the Rileys move out. And the next one, we have the sergeant who is Officer Mancuso's boss saying to him, well, look at that. I thought you were a huge idiot and now you've brought in and taken down this entire high school pornography ring. You've taken it down single-handedly and we have another, you know, agent who we're going to go get. So good job, Mancuso. I think I might promote you. And then he calls him by his first name, Angelo, and Officer Mancuso is beside himself with... Joy. We find out his kids are proud of him. Yeah. So that's nice. Good for him. And he gets another, like, um, like a traffic cop to, like, take pictures pretending to be Lana Lee, and they reenact the entire night of the arrest. And then he's like, I just want to have something to show my kids so they can be proud of their dad. Mm-hmm. The next one is about Santa Bataglia, and she, of course, is proud of Officer Mancuso because he's in the paper as a hero, and then Ignatius is in the paper as a total disgrace. So a she, buffoon. Yeah, so she feels bad for Mrs. Riley. The whole thing is her talking to a photograph of her mother the entire time. Uh, So in the next section, Claude Robichaux is nervous and worried because he's saying like $20 for this hospital stay is not that much, but I can only imagine with Ignatius as a stepson, how expensive it's going to be. He reveals that the thing that he's actually concerned about is like the disgrace as opposed to the cost. Then we have George, the teenage, quote, orphan who is at home with his parents and is clearly not an orphan. And he's working on his little high school scrapbook because he had dropped out of school. And his mom is looking at him thinking, oh man, what's he going to do with his life now that he's dropped out of school? There's a knock on the door and it's the police. And George thinks, I think it might be time for me to get out of town. But he realizes he can't escape because the house only has one door. 
And then Lana Lee is in jail with the three lesbians and they sort of argue about things and then they all attack her. The three lesbians attack Lana Lee. Yeah, they're trying to get the porn that she's apparently still carrying around. Yeah, Yeah, so that's the end of Lana Lee's arc. She's just in a jail cell being attacked by the aggressive lesbians. In the next section, we just see Dorian Green putting the second floor of his building up for rent because he's like, wow, those poor lesbians, if only they could have refrained from attacking the police officer. Oh, well, (laughs) I'll have to rent out their apartment, but unfortunately, I won't be able to find anyone who's as good of a guard dog, so I'll have to start locking the place up from now on. In the next section, we see Darlene at home in her apartment, and she's thinking, man, I don't really have any other job prospects. What am I going to do? And then the phone rings, and it's someone who saw her picture in the paper and says, look, Look, I have a bar over on Bourbon Street. I think you could be a good deal. Come on in. You've got a lot of buzz around you right now because of this. Yeah, so Darlene's going to be okay, it seems. And then Jones sees the story in the paper as well. He's thinking about how his whole plan for sabotage ended up backfiring on him because now he's a vagrant again. He doesn't have a job. Little does he know his fortune may change soon. (laughs) It may change. Well, he actually says, I did sabotage so well that I even sabotaged myself. (laughs) He did say that at least now the police are grateful to me, but who knows how long that's going to last. But he thinks like, yeah, my life sucks, but could be worse. I could be Ignatius. So that's Jones. That's where we leave him. Okay, the final section of this chapter, we're with the Levies. And Mr. Levy, this is so unpleasant to read. Mr. Levy is thinking like, if only I had just done my job managing the business. What if I just changed it to Levy trousers instead of pants? Then I probably could have handled it. I just, my associations with my father are just so terrible. It's revealed that his wife actually does want him to lose the libel suit because she thinks like if the business is destroyed, basically it just proves that she was right about him all along, just being terrible. She'd rather be destroyed along with him and be right than to be wrong and not be destroyed. (laughs) So Mr. Levy goes to the Riley's house to try to find Ignatius because they had already looked for him in the hospital or jail or whatever that he said he was at and obviously he wasn't there. So they go to his actual house and he talks to one of the neighbors, the one who has the petition to make them leave and she talks about how sad Ignatius was when his dog died and how she thinks that's when things between him and his mother deteriorated because he wanted to have a funeral for the dog but the priest wouldn't come and like the neighborhood kids were laughing at him and his mom was like yelling at him to just throw the dog in the garbage and then instead he buried it in the yard. Yeah, so that's pretty much the only other little glimpse that we get. She says he was in high school and he was okay up until the dog died and then everything fell apart. Yeah, him and his mother, they just couldn't handle being around each other, I guess. Then the Rileys show up and the two of them have this huge loud fight about Claude Rowe's show in the street and Ignatius is like, oh, you know, he's just this disgusting old perv. He doesn't want to marry you, blah, blah, blah. And the mom's like, no, he wants to marry me and I deserve to be happy, etc. Mr. Levy starts to feel bad for Ignatius because it seems like he sees his relationship with his wife in their relationship. Mm -hmm. So he is finally starting to take Ignatius' side. He goes inside with them and he's asking about the letter. Obviously, Ignatius denies it. The whole time his mom is saying, he definitely did it. He definitely did it. She doesn't even know what he did. Right. She's just like, if something (laughs) happened and it went wrong, Ignatius did it. I don't care. He's the reason, which she's correct. It's like she read this book. (laughs) But because he, he thinks she's like his wife, he doesn't want to believe her. He he would rather believe Ignatius because of that. Ignatius says, oh yeah, it was definitely Miss Trixie. Here's proof. Look at this journal that I kept that says that Miss Trixie (laughs) is actually secretly wise. (laughs) So the Levies go talk to Miss Trixie 
and she gets confused because they tell her like, you know, Ignatius said that you wrote the letter and she's like, oh, Gloria said that? Well, Gloria's always been a great friend. So yeah, yeah, I guess I did write that letter. I've always wanted revenge on you. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Mr. Levy's excited because that means his wife was wrong about her all along. (laughs) And he starts threatening his wife saying, I'm going to tell our daughters that you're the reason that the business is failing. And he's kind of turned the tables. So he tells Miss Trixie, if you will confess, like write a letter saying that you wrote that letter, we'll retire you and give you a bonus. And also I've decided I'm going to take up more of an interest in the business and start making Bermuda shorts instead of pants. And we're going to be called Levy Shorts from now on. Which is all because he sent out those pants that were two feet too short. So he basically sent them Bermuda shorts. Yeah, now he's just rebranding. That's smart. It's like, this is perfect. If I just say they were meant to be shorts all along. It's great. And he realizes eventually that Trixie didn't actually write the letter and is just really confused. But she's like, he's like, look, if I can just get her to attest to this, then there's no way we're going to get in trouble because we'll just show that she's senile and it's not our fault. He says, even though Ignatius didn't mean for it to turn out this way, it's actually going to be great for her and for me. His wife is saying, you're such a disgrace to your father. What about that Leon Levy award that I was going to give out? Are you going to get rid of that? And he's like, no. I'm going to give that award out. And he notices the paper and sees Jones's picture and it talks about how Jones helped foil this pornography ring. So he's like, I'm going to give it to this guy. The wife's upset about it and he takes it further and is like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to give him this award and I'm going to hire him. (laughs) So now Jones's problems are solved. Yeah. Trixie's problems are solved and Mr. Levy decides to divorce Mrs. Levy. So everybody's problems are solved. Yeah. So this week's Patreon shout out goes out to Oh my gosh. Who is it? My <gasps> dear friend Who is it gonna be? Suman. Oh I knew it. It's Suman. Nice. Yes, we became friends at law school. If you're a listener of the pod, you know her from the witch incident. <laughs> she was the one who accused you of being a witch? She was the one who heard the accusation and was like, so what? Nice. She's cool. And then kept being my friend. So if you have a dark secret that you want someone to not judge you for, Suman seems to be your gal. (laughs) If you want to gossip something about someone to someone who won't care, (laughs) yeah, hit her up. So Suman is actually in the same tier as Tristan. So she's the current queen patron. And she's going to get to force us to cover whatever she wants, which I'm guessing it's going to be something Spongebob related, but I'm not sure. (laughs) We'll see. <laughs> All right. And that's going on the main feed. Are we going to have to buy some SpongeBob book or something? like? Some... Maybe we'll watch the SpongeBob stage musical. I've heard good things, actually. Okay. Maybe we'll just read the script. Yeah, the script of episode one of SpongeBob. I'd love it if she has you thinking that we're going to do some kind of SpongeBob thing. And then she's like, all right, just kidding. War and Peace. Oh, the Bible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the funny thing is we bonded at law school because so in our little trio of friends, mm-hmm. one friend was raised Catholic and Suman was raised Ismaili Muslim. And then obviously, as you two know, I was raised in some non-denominational church, but all of us watched the Prince of Egypt cartoon growing up. Love that movie. And Suman said that she had to watch it like twice a year <laughs> that whoever was in charge of the kids just periodically would be like, eh, I don't want to teach you something today. So it's time to watch the Prince of Whatever. Egypt. Whatever. <laughs> Old Testament. It's fine. I probably did watch that at least twice a year as a kid. I watched it a lot. It is a really good movie. Actually, I might ask her if she wants us to talk about the Prince of Egypt because I love the Prince of Patreon. Egypt. Andy Champion yeah. and I always talked about how we wanted to do a live action shot for shot 
extremely low budget remake of it. <laughs> there was a friend in grad school who we also bonded a little bit over it and just the music and the visuals. Yeah. It's all good. It's it's a really good cartoon actually. Maybe that should be in the canon. Thanks so. Thank you so much, Suan. She's a great friend. She's very supportive and I look forward to seeing her in a couple months. At least she's studying for the bar right now, so she may not listen to this episode for a while, <laughs> but I'll tell her she's got a shout out anyway. If you would like to be a patron just like her or give us less or money or similar to her, but more. not just like her. Yeah. Patreon.com slash fire the cannon. C-A-N-O-N. All right. So we're finally in the last chapter. This one also doesn't get broken up into sections. It just kind of sticks with Ignatius almost the whole time. So he is stressed about the libel suit situation because he hasn't heard an update back on if Miss Trixie took the fall or whatever. He has, I guess, just been like masturbating for days. He's just very yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah. He's decided that Myrna Minkoff is the one who caused all of his problems. <laughs> I liked how that sort of wasn't mentioned for the whole middle portion of the book. I liked that part of the book where they didn't talk about Ignatius masturbating. Yeah, that was a great part <laughs> yeah. of the book. I like every time that he's not, quote, abusing the rubber glove. Those are the best parts of the book when they're not talking about that. Yeah. 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 Definitely the best parts. But no, that's what he's doing. He just does that and falls asleep and wakes up and starts over and that's all he's done for and days. stresses out, yeah. yeah. Mrs. Riley at this point has decided, I am definitely going to get Ignatius committed. Yeah. He does need psychiatric care for sure, but probably not the kind of care that a person at this time period would get in a Catholic-run charity hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so Mrs. Riley, she's decided for sure he needs to get committed, but she's thinking like, I can't be in the house when they come to get him because for one thing, it could be dangerous. Like he's huge. They're going to need to be able to physically restrain him because he will not go willingly. She's like, I just couldn't handle being around while this happens. So she's talking to Santa Bataglia and she tells her, come stay at my house and I will call the hospital and have them come get him tonight. His mom is like, that sounds like a good idea. So she wants to say goodbye to him and she's knocking on the door and saying like, oh, come say goodbye, which of course makes him confused mm -hmm. about why she's being so melodramatic, yeah. but she's saying like, you know, you were right all along. I shouldn't have tried to make you get a job. I should have been the one to pay for the damages. I'm so sorry I ran into the building. Don't ever be mad at me about anything. <laughs> yeah, she says, just remember that everything I've done is in your best interest and I love you. And then she's like crying and he's like, what is going she on She kisses here? his mustache and then leaves the house and he's like yeah. calling like, mom, mom, get back here. Where are you going? That part made me pretty sad. It is sad. <laughs> I felt yeah. really bad for her. Any part with the mother-son relationship is pretty sad because you have to wonder how much of that is based on his relationship with his mom. Like in some way, do you think that maybe he wished this is what she would have said to him? I have no idea. We know that their relationship was just very complicated and that yeah. he also obviously needed psychiatric psychiatric help. Yeah. No, I mean, we can't know, but it, it just kind of raises those thoughts. Yeah. And you feel bad for her. Yep. He kind of puts everything together and he realizes what she's planning to do. He's like, okay, I need to figure something out. So he's like looking for money, but he's only able to find 60 cents. So he thinks I can hide out in the movie theater for a while and then figure something out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's his big plan. Just go to the yeah. movies. Yeah. Go to the movies. Yeah, He says with 60 cents, his options are limited, but he can use it to go to the movies <laughs> and hide out. <laughs> uh, you would hope that if he went and he was starting to hide, he could at least keep his mouth shut for a while. 
while, but I doubt that. <laughs> and I like the detail when he's starting to freak out thinking he's going to go to the psychiatric hospital and he's going around his room trying to find things and smashing big chief tablets. Just that detail of him just totally destroying all the stuff that he worked really hard on because he's panicking at that moment. Yeah. He still has a lot of it left, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 While he's planning the escape, he hears a knock at the door and he's worried that it's Mr. Levy, but it turns out it's Myrna Minkoff. <gasps> After she sent her previous letter, she was so worried about him that she says she immediately got in her car and drove, you know, 30 hours straight from New York to New Orleans to check up on him in person. She's got her dark hair and one long braid hanging over her shoulder. She has a guitar across her back and she's got these big glasses that are full of fake glass. They don't have any like actual lenses in them. She just wants to look intelligent. Yeah, yeah, just for show. We've only known her through letters throughout the whole book. So this is the first time she's in the flesh. Yeah. So she shows up and immediately Ignatius is like, oh, uh, hey, you were right all along. Let's immediately go to a motel and have sex. I, I want to do it now. I've realized that you were correct. <laughs> She's like, I've been driving for a long time. Let's just like go somewhere to spend the night. And he's like, okay. <laughs> or I think she wants to stay at the house at first. But he keeps pressuring her and he's like, no, uh, actually, this house is really bad for my mental health because you were right about my mother. Like being around my mother is terrible. She's dating a fascist now. Yeah. And look at this pamphlet. They're trying to accuse me of communism. Like, get me out of here, because what if my mom comes back and then I think my mental state will regress? So we've got to leave. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, oh, well, let's go to and she just names the town where the psychiatric hospital is. He's like, no, 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 we've got to go in another direction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Not that place. So he's just lying with her to try to get her to take him away. Yeah. Lying to her? Yeah. What did I say? Yeah. 40 and lying with said her. lying with her. <laughs> oh. The whole time. So he's like, yeah, let's uh, let's pack my stuff. I would love to leave. Let's get everything. So he forces her to help him gather all his big chief tablets and they make multiple trips. And by the end, she's like, there's a few more. He's saying, no, 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 we've got to get out of here. Let's just leave now. Hurry. So he gets in the back seat, of course, because he never sits in the front. And then she's like driving away and he's saying like horrible things like, oh, can't this car go any faster? Like, we're just going to get pulled over. We're going to, you know, all be destroyed. And she's like, Ignatius, you're turning horrible again. This might be a big mistake for me to take you away. Yeah. <laughs> Is this what you're going to be like? Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm, oh, no, I'm different no. now. Yeah. Yeah. Like once he's in the car, he starts to reveal his true colors again. And then he. Yeah. So then she goes, well, where do you want to spend the night? And now he's like, we can't stop and spend the night. We have to continue driving. We have to get away from here. Yeah, we have to drive all night. She's like, I can't. I've been driving for a day and a half. But so as they're pulling out, the ambulance for the hospital pulls up. So they did escape just in the nick of time. Yeah. The book ends with them driving down the road. He breathes in the swampy air and his valve opens up. And he's, like, holding her pigtail up to his moist mustache. Yeah. And that's the end of the book. That's <laughs> so weird. And I, I love the detail of when the ambulance drives up. It says, Ignatius felt insulted. He had expected a massive barred truck. Yeah. They had underestimated him in sending out an old, well-used Cadillac ambulance. Yeah, he's like, like I could have easily broken free yeah. and busted those windows. <laughs> And the way that he tries to convince her that he's overcome all his problems and he's ready to, like, have sex with her, basically, he just, like, pushes her against the wall and is like, my natural desires are overcoming me. Quick. Lust. Let us do something. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. What is going? Like, that's not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, he's not a good liar. Yeah. 
but she falls for it. But I guess because he's playing into her hopes and dreams, she just buys it. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's the that's the book. That's that book. That's the book. Theo, you said you hated the ending. He didn't like the ending. Yeah, I don't know if I hated it, but I didn't care for it. I just thought I would have rather had Marina never appear in person. Yeah. And honestly, I liked that detail about the ambulance so much. <laughs> I think that would have been like a great last paragraph. Like the ambulance does come to get him and he says... I can break out of that and then it's over. It's like, yeah, I can get out. Yeah. I don't know why I like that line so much. I guess just that like this is the lowest point in his life at this point. And he's still being unreasonable. Yeah, he's still finding ways to think he's above it all. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I felt like a little bit helpful at the end. Like I know that he's just using Myrna to escape, but you know, maybe it'll be good for him to get away. It's possible if she figures out she can blackmail him by saying she's going to send him back to New Orleans that she'll actually be able to get him to make some progress. It'll be good <laughs> yeah. for... New Orleans for him to leave. (laughs) It might be good for him to be away from his mother and yeah. I also just felt like because all the other, like the 13 sections of chapter 13 tied everything up and made everything else work out for every other person pretty much. And so I figure it's also going to work out for him. Hmm. It doesn't work out for the bad people. Like if you're bad, you get punished. So Ignatius is indisputably a bad person. But, like, George and Lana and even the violent lesbians, they all, like, get their comeuppance. That sounds like a fun party. I would have liked to have been at that party. I did love the details where every time they're playing a record, the narrator says there's always a group of, like, some number of gay men standing there just, like, lavishly praising the woman singing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're listening to Judy Garland and they're like, divine, unique. I went to this concert. (laughs) It was glorious. Yeah, it's just, it's pretty cute of them to just go to a party and stand around with their buddies and just talk about how much they love Judy Garland. (laughs) This part, though, is just, it's so over the top and so stereotypical. This is one of the parts of the book where I'm like, I don't know how much of this is satire and what it's satirizing. I don't know. I got the sense that, like, John Kennedy Tool might not have ever met a gay person in real life. (laughs) I'm gonna assume what's going on because every time these men say something, they're always described as, like, squealing and screeching and it's just, like, it's such an obvious stereotype that it feels like like it has to all be satire, except I don't know. It's almost too obvious. Well, and the lesbians, so they've got short hair and they're constantly beating up men. They're all wearing leather jackets. And, yeah. 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 One thing he said was that when Ignatius unplugged the record player, it was like this, he said, uh, emasculated version of a war cry. Yeah. The writing is so good, but the words he says are sometimes so bad. <laughs> I wish he would just write things that were good with the same skill. Yeah, I, I don't know. I found that whole scene probably like the worst thing to read in the whole book. I mean, the thing is, it's entirely possible that Tool is just telling us what Ignatius is thinking or that he it is a satire of what people at the time would have been like would have thought (laughs) or it's possible that he was just making it over the top purely for comedic effect. Mm -hmm. And then just in 2021, we're like, uh, that's not, we don't find that as funny now. (laughs) I was relieved by the end that it seems like people kind of got what they deserved. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Sort of, yeah. Yeah. The wrap-up of the levees 
marriage where it's like he wins he's gonna <laughs> ship her off to mexico yeah. and yeah mm-hmm. he was also a terrible person yeah so i don't know why he should be the one who's triumphant and oh his wife like what a bitch she sucks like they're both bad yeah. <laughs> the only people i like in the whole book are darlene and jones honestly and darlene is quite racist but at least we're like she's very uneducated and nice she's just parroting racism other people have taught her all the time right i mean she's just way too dumb but i feel like she and jones are like the only kind of good people in the book which of the characters do you think you could sit down and have a beer with (laughs) dorian green maybe (laughs) maybe. he doesn't seem like a great person either but i mean he seems i've been friends with people who i don't think are great people but they're like very funny and they're fun to hang out with wow screw you too theo yeah (laughs) don't you i've I've definitely had friends who i'm like i wouldn't ask you for help but you're good to have at a party yeah let's see who would i like to sit down with um i feel like me and Santa Bataglia could at least just like go out dancing or something. Like I don't think I'd want her like <laughs> go sip, like really involved in my life. Yeah, but she seems fun. She makes a yeah. good potato salad. But the whole time she'd be like, "Forget about those cats, Jackie. You need to get rid yeah. of those cats. Send them off. They're holding you down." <laughs> Send girl. those cats to a mental hospital. Yeah, that's what I like. I like the idea of having just a friend who's just like, "I'm gonna tell you how shit really is and what you actually need to do." Like I just want someone to just tell me what to do like that. That would be a good friend. <laughs> she does do right by her nephew and her friend. That's thing yeah. yeah like she hates ignatius but she's like here's what irene needs she should hate ignatius if we met ignatius we would hate him just as much <laughs> she does good by irene so she's a good friend she's just gross as far as her kitchen hygiene goes right yeah all right well i mean what do you guys think theo let's do you want to start with you or jackie or me i don't really care um we know rachel's gonna fire it rachel's gonna fire it tell us why you're gonna fire it because when i have talked to you guys about the canon the way that i've been thinking about it is books that you should read in high school or would be good options for you to read in high school or like a freshman english course where it's like this is something that i think would be beneficial to almost everyone you'd have a good chance of enjoying it and it's part of our shared cultural history. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my criteria for keeping it. That's why I would like to have the Odyssey, Pride and Prejudice, etc. still in there. I would love to fire this book because so much of it is satire, but not all of it. It was written in a time where people's social attitudes were, on the whole, awful. I think it's too much for a high school brain to handle reading like objectively like homophobic racist sexist characters and try to separate out in a like a responsible way how much of this is from the author how much is from the characters and what should i take from this Mm -hmm. and apart from that from people who have read the book more than half of them hate it seems like (laughs) nobody was like i kind of liked it there are people who really really love it which is why we've talked about how it's like a cult classic but not most people seem to love it i think i'm one of those unicorns because i didn't love it and i didn't hate it um i have to agree i don't think it should be in the canon The reason is slightly different. So I kind of want to see, Rachel, what do you think? If this had been written today by someone who we know is progressive minded, would would that have cleared up any of the issues with like, okay, at least we can say like this is actually satire probably. What you're basically saying is if I knew for a fact that it all of the offensive stuff was satire, would that make me feel different? Well, you said because it was written in a time period where the social thoughts about these things were different. Right. Let's just say we didn't know the author, but it was written today. What would you say? I mean, it doesn't matter if it was written today or back then. As long as the author had a statement that was like, this is how I actually feel about these subjects, and the book is 
100% a satire. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter when it was written. Even if they said that, I would still say like, I get what you're trying to go for. I don't think it succeeded 100%. Either way, I don't want to make teens read it. (laughs) I don't care if like, I've read plenty of And I enjoy plenty of books that they don't have to have good morals. Like, I love the book Lolita, which obviously is a book about a pedophile as the narrator. The character is horrible. He never learns a lesson. It's just there's nothing, like, uplifting about it at all. I don't care about that. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I wouldn't make a high school class read Lolita either. So my thoughts are just because I think something shouldn't be in the canon does not mean I think that it's horrible or the worst thing ever. No. I think it's fine that this book got a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. Like, I, it, the writing is very is great. I think what I'm trying to say is um, sort of like what you were saying, except maybe a little different. I think it's too confusing, regardless of whether you're a high schooler or me or you or anybody on this podcast. I think we all kind of are uncertain as to, like, what it means. <laughs> it's just a real shame that, like, John Kennedy Tool isn't still around and, like, can't talk to us about this book and that it never got published while he was alive so that we could have had people ask him about it because I like I said I don't think that good art requires explanation like I shouldn't have to say okay well this book is good if the guy can tell me it was satire and it's not good if he can't tell me that like that doesn't make any sense I think the work should be able to stand on its own either way but that's not something that should be required but with this book it very much is required because otherwise you have no idea what's going on it's clearly a work by someone with a very large amount of talent and very impressive skills and I thought it was mostly enjoyable to read and some of it is really funny and some of it it does a really good job of just pointing out the absurdity of politics and just the world in this time period in this place but I think as an overall work I don't think it's something that I would think most people could get a whole lot out of. I think that if he had gone on to write more books, I wouldn't be surprised at all if a third or fourth book from him, if I was like, yeah, this should be a canonical work, but he just never got the chance to do it. It's so hard to do that with your very first novel and... What do you think, Thea? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Jackie had brought up a few times about how how John Kennedy Tool would just include random little diversions about like they all lick the spoon, just like little jokes mm-hmm. that don't really influence the plot. You know, if I were an editor and I'm looking at this book, there is tons of stuff that I would think of. The whole thing about him selling hot dogs, you don't need any of that. No, that did nothing. You really don't. That's what got George involved. You could have easily involved him in some other way. That's what made him want to go see Darlene's show. The premise that I'm going to hide my packages in this hot dog cart is so flimsy that you could have you could have done that in another way so easily. Like, I'm going to hide my packages in... Like, he could have cut out all those parts about Irene being like, oh no, he's a hot dog man. We, we can't let people know this. And then him, like, getting his cart stuck and, like, trying to sell them and not being able to and, like, eating a bunch and having to pay for them and like dealing with Mr. Mr. Clyde. All you had to do was just like have George meet Ignatius some other way. And have Ignatius somehow have an earring or another way. I don't know. I loved everything about the hot dog. I thought it was hilarious. But I think like, why don't you just take that, turn that into a short story? That would be like a hundred pages that you could take out of this book and it would be a lot cleaner, you know? Earlier in the last episode, I was saying like, there's nothing in this you could cut because all the strings would fall apart. But there are some things you could cut. (laughs) You'd have to add something else. But yeah. The something else could be a paragraph instead of a hundred pages. I mean, I would love to read a short story that just starts with... 
with someone getting their hot dog cart stuck in the <laughs> streetcar track, you know, and then there's this like panic moment and everything. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was so good. And it would, I mean, what if you had, yeah. you guys probably wouldn't like this, but what if you had like sort of like J.D. Salinger had Holden Caulfield appear in multiple stories? What if you had Ignatius just appear in all of these different <laughs> stories and like mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like canonical, like it's not the same Ignatius or something. Like that's the, here comes the agent of chaos. Yeah. It probably would have worked better if he had done Ignatius short stories where he just kind of appeared in the background of other people's business. Yeah. <laughs> like if he was the Amelia Bedelia of middle-aged yeah. New Orleans <laughs> men. <laughs> yeah. If he had made like an Ignatius trilogy and just kind of separated things out and just made it a little bit tighter. <laughs> yeah. I think that could have worked even, but just shoving everything into one book. Yeah. I see why he would have had a terrible time editing it, but I think that's the, not that I know anything, but I feel like that's just the mark of like a new novelist is, oh my God, I've got all these ideas. I'm going to put them all together. Every funny thing I've ever thought of. Right. And then you're like, oh my God, I don't have any more ideas. Yeah. I was listening to the Blank Check podcast not a sponsor. They were talking about Back to the Future Mm -hmm. and they were talking about how the screenwriters wrote Doc Brown's dialogue. Basically that any time a longer word could be used, they put that in instead of like any shorter word. And so I was thinking like, how do you go about writing Ignatius's dialogue? Basically like that, I bet. (laughs) You know, because I don't know anyone who can talk like that. I feel like you would have to write the simple version and then just replace all the words with the complex and offensive version. Yeah, we should do an exercise where I take the paragraph that you just said and turn it into Ignatius language. (laughs) And instead of you saying something like, I don't know anyone who can talk like that, it could be like, I know of no Cretans who could possibly string together a more offensive (laughs) set of words or something. Actually, now that you say that, I can imagine there being a Reddit bot that goes around and changes Ignatius sizes. <laughs> you know yeah. how there's like a Shakespeare bot? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this book is in the canon yet, actually. Are we allowed to fire it then? I think it just, we're not going to load it in. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to sort of look at it on the ground. Let's be like, you belong there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jackie, we're still not going to use the sound effect. Uh, you were delighted about hearing the cannon fire sound effect, but no, it's just sitting on the ground next to the cannon. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just been on the two fire pile. Question mark. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that I finally read it. I may read it again in the future. I don't know if I will because there's so many other books that I'll go back through and read little bits. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Like there there are certain things that I would want to read again that really made me laugh. I don't know if I want to go through the whole thing. I think that's how I feel. There's some dialogue, but as a whole, it's just quite long and I feel unhappy a lot of the time when I'm reading it. I'm actually glad that Tristan told us to read it because I think it made for really interesting conversation. Also, I think if I had been the one who was like, hey, let's read this book and then I started reading it, I might have been like, I don't know if I want to continue (laughs) with this. (laughs) But because we had to, I was forced to get through the first part, which I did not enjoy the first part. I liked the second section a lot more. Yeah. yeah, the second section is good. It is a book I'm glad that I read. Yeah. It's good that we had people to tell us it was great. But I can see why some people would be obsessed with it, you know? I think it's good praise for a book, honestly. I mean, I haven't read that many books, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. But when I've read funny books before, it's normally like I'll chuckle and then I'll keep reading. But I feel like there were times in this book where I actually had to sort of stop reading it for a second because I thought it was so funny. And I was thought about like, how did he come up with how did he set it up yeah yeah, the whole setup it takes you out of the story but sometimes you'd like to be taken out of the story and just focus on the brilliance of the writing (laughs) yeah all right that's that on that so everybody 
Next week, you are going to get to hear us do an interview with the book YouTuber Jess Owens. We had a really good time interviewing her. You should check out her Twitter, Instagram, her YouTube account. It's all great. She has a lot of really interesting book content. We can post, we'll post some links on Facebook. I think her handle is like at underscore said by Jess. Yeah. And then her YouTube channel is just Jess Owens. It was really fun talking to her. I hope that you enjoy our chat next week. And then the week after that, we will be back. We're going to be reading Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and we'll be doing the Simon Armitage translation, if that's okay with you guys. Seriously? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I mean, there's a Tolkien translation, but after the hard time we had- After Beowulf. Yeah, I don't think we want to do that again. (laughs) So anyway, we'll be doing that, and that's in celebration of the upcoming feature-length motion picture film. Green Knight. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) which I've been looking forward to that movie for years now because it was supposed to come out, you know, in 2020, got postponed due due to the pandemic, but it's coming out at the end of July. So if you guys are interested in this upcoming movie and you want to know a little bit about the source material, you should listen in. We will be having Jacob on again from the (laughs) Underrated Overrated Podcast. He'll be coming on again because he apparently spent a whole semester at uni studying this poem and we've also got a medieval scholar who's going to chat with us just about whatever cool medieval stuff she wants to talk about and i always personally think that i enjoy movies more when i understand a little bit more about the literature that inspired them this is a super weird poem i don't know anything about this i don't know anything about the green knight but I can tell you when the green Power Ranger was introduced, it was huge. You can also find us on Facebook at Fire the Cannon Podcast. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Fire the Cannon Pod. And our website is FireTheCannonPod.com. Or FireTheCannonPodcast.com, whichever you prefer. Either one. We own both domains. Nice. They're balling out <laughs> over here. Hoo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> 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 yeah. If you want to email us, you can reach us at FireTheCannonPodcast at gmail.com. Um, and now we're going to do our traditional sign-off. And I've been streaming my edit sessions. What? Oh, you started? You didn't tell you us. You can find them at FireChildProducer on Twitch. Fire, Fire child, child producer. Yeah. Fire the cannon inside the mind of a child genius, and I produce them. Can we watch your old streams, or are they only available live? I have no idea what I'm doing right now, so maybe, or maybe not. If you need help, you should talk to Steven. I think he's streaming right now, actually. He Whoa. streams video games and So art. I said, time for our traditional sign-off, and Theo said, I'm streaming my old editing sessions <laughs> at Fire Child Producer. There's our traditional sign-off. Go watch... Theo's Twitch account. If you want to get this sort of behind-the-scenes look at how uh, much stuff I take out of the podcast and how <laughs> many pauses I take out, um, yeah, just check it out. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this trilogy of episodes, and we hope you will come back next time to hear us chat with Jess Owens, a delightful YouTuber. She's pretty charming, I've noticed. As I've been editing it, it's like, whoa. So much charm. Yeah. A little ball of charm. <laughs> you probably were just comparing her to us. Compared to these two wenches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this is why she's got a popular YouTube channel yeah. and we don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much and goodbye, Nell. Thank you, Nell. And goodbye. Good so much. Bye, Nell. <laughs>